Hey, good morning, Springbrook. It's good to see you. Uh, doesn't the snow look lovely right now? I mean, just, just, just look at the fall. Cut, cut everything else from your mind. It's beautiful snow. And it's not that heavy. And it kind of slowly moves us in to the season. Right? <laughs> hey, listen. I wanted to thank all of you for how uh, you honored us as pastors. The notes that you gave us, gift cards, uh, uh, money that you gave, I tell you what, we were blown away. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of uh, Matt and Rich, uh, it was just a real blessing to us. So I want to thank you for that. Well, no doubt it's Christmas season, and that means, oh, is there something else? Holy cow. <laughs> is it up? Well, it's a Christmas season, and that means that it's time to reignite our Wiseman Truth initiative. This has been a lifelong passion for me, uh, a great misunderstanding on behalf of, I don't know, the decor industry. Uh, let me just put it bluntly. The wise men were not at the nativity scene. Really? Yeah, they, they weren't there. I mean, they were really far away. In fact, some people said it would take two years to travel to Israel. And you remember, they came to a house, not a cave or a stable or anything like that. I mean, Jesus Christ was maybe two years old. Jesus Christ go through the terrible twos. Now, that's a theological question. <laughs> yeah, and that's when they came to worship him. And oh, they think, well, there are three wise men. Well, how do you know that? There were three gifts. But they could have been four wise men, seven wise men. They could have had a whole entourage. I mean, just imagine if it said in Scripture there were a hundred wise men. Would you actually buy one hundred wise men to put there at the nativity? Well, we've been very active uh, in trying to keep the truth, uh, have people be aware of keeping uh, the truth. And... Uh, so, how many of you have, have moved your Wiseman? Okay. Very good. Now, how many still have not seen the light? Anybody out there? Come on, guys. The one thing I ask you to do, you know, it's very simple. You just take the Wiseman, put him in another part of the house, right? Basement, uh, bathroom. And you said, came two years later. Let's write a little note. Do we have video? It's totally out? Oh, okay. Excuse me. Notes. 
Usually I work off the screens. Good morning, Springbrook. <laughs> Boy, I had some great pictures to show you. <laughs> oh, such a waste. I'll have to show them next week. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. All right. Well, we're a disciple-making family. And disciple means to train so, so you think of this past fall, you think of this past fall, and we started out with a series on life on mission. Life on mission. The idea that we go out every day on mission for Christ to show His love and to tell people about Him. And then we had a series on Strat, the idea of how should we manage God's money His way. And now we're starting a series on worship. Come to worship. December 4th, today is to lift up your hands. I just want to make note of Christmas Eve. Uh, we're going to have our services at uh, 3 p.m., one service that is, at 3 p.m. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to have it at 10 a.m. So if you can be with us, we'd, we'd love to have you there. And on New Year's Day, we're going to have it at 10 a.m. again. It'll just be an hour service, both on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And there'll be child care uh, through the age five for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and New Year's Day. And if you'd like to serve our family, you know, oh, oh, <laughs> all right, we're cooking now. All right. So if you'd like to serve our family by taking care of kids during those services, that'd be a, a lovely way uh, to do that. Well, let's jump into our text here. Revelation 22.8. This is John on the Isle of Patmos, and he was exiled there because of his faith. And it was there, of course, that the angel revealed to him the future. The end days. And after he had heard all of this, this is what he said, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Let me go to the next slide. But he said to me, this is the angel, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. The angel said, no, don't be worshiping me. I'm just another creation of God like you. You only are to worship God. It's interesting when we study the word worship in the Bible. What comes to your mind when you think about worship? Okay, now I'm going to worship. You might think about singing or listening to the Word or taking uh, communion. Uh, maybe 
Uh, you grew up in a church where worship was boring, okay? And that can be the case in many churches. We try to keep things alive here because we're celebrating who Jesus Christ is. Uh, but again, there's a lot of different ideas, and I really believe that through this series, you have a much more defined idea of what worship is, and you can continue to work on developing uh, that skill in your life. Now, worship in the Old Testament, uh, the word worship, which is hishtava, which means to bow down with reverence and respect, is mentioned 171 times. That's quite a few times, isn't it? But if you look in the New Testament, you see it 26 times in the Gospels. In Revelation, you see it 21 times. But, but in Acts and Epistles, you don't see that word at all. Isn't that fascinating? And what happened there? I mean, you know, did Paul forget about worship? There's several references to the fact that they gathered together in the temple courts and, and in the homes and a couple of others, but nothing really direct. You'd think that if worship was really important, that they would have at least a couple chapters on how to do worship. But you don't see it. Let's go back to the beginning to figure this out. This is the tabernacle. This is mobile tabernacle while they wandered through the desert. And what they would do is they would set this up everywhere that they stayed. It was a tent for God. Inside the tabernacle, uh, of course, you have the Ark of the Covenant there, and that's the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so they would carry all that stuff with them from place to place to place and Set it up and take it down. Set it up and take it down. And then we think of the temple. This is Solomon's temple and just beautiful. But again, they have the holies of holies, the Ark of the Covenant, inside uh, the temple. And if you look at this inset, uh, you'll see the uh, uh, two uh, angelic beings and the Ark of the Covenant in the middle. And in front of that, you have this huge curtain that covered it. And so that's how they worshipped. So when you think about Old Testament worship, you think about the fact that it was localized, right? Is in one place. Now, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. But at the same time, God said that he resided in the Holy of Holies. Then there was a lot of outward expressions of worship. You have the whole sacrificial system. You have the priests who represented the people. You had all the different laws uh, that they had to follow. Uh, very, a lot of different things uh, that, again, we do not have to uh, do. Matthew 12, 6, Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, <laughs> that's a pretty gutsy thing to say because the temple was the most important place in Israel because that's where God resided. That makes sense, right? But Jesus is saying, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Who, who could that be? Huh? 
He also said, we heard him say, this is at the trial, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Now, that's inflammatory type of talk. When when you say that you're going to destroy the temple, you're going to destroy God's dwelling place, and you're going to rebuild it without hands, I mean, no wonder Jesus got in trouble, right? Now, this is fascinating. The, the, the key passage on worship in the New Testament is found in the story of the Samaritan woman. Remember, the Jews hated Samaritans, and they would take a long, long route around Samaria so they wouldn't have to step in there or see any Samaritans or anything of that nature. Real deep uh, hatred. And so what Jesus Christ does, of course, is he goes right through Samaria with his disciples. Okay, so that's the first thing. Like, why are you going to Samaria? <laughs> you shouldn't be there. Then uh, the second thing is, is that he meets a woman. And typically in that day, a man did not talk uh, to a woman. And so he met this woman and he talked with her. On top of that, she had a checkered past. You know, a lot of different husbands. She was living with a person uh, at that current time. And to this woman, (laughs) he presents how everything is going to change in worship. He's also going to present how it's going, Christ's love is going to be offered to both the Jews and the Gentiles. That's why I think he did in Samaria. So it's really interesting as we study this passage. Now, the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So, she says, in our religion, we we go to Mount Gerizim, which is a mountain in that area. And, of course, you had the temple in Jerusalem, and that's where you worship. So, again, the idea of uh, their God being localized. We go here, you go there. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. Coming, but neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So he's saying that the idea of worshiping God is not going to be localized. It's not going to be a particular place that he is going to be. He says, you worship what you do not know. They're worshiping a false god, the Samaritans. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So I just wanted to make it clear to her that, hey, salvation comes from uh, the message that we have. In John 4, 24, or 23, that is, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So what's happening here? But the hour is coming, and it's here right now. What do you mean it was here right now? But he was here. 
God was on earth, right? No reason to go to Holy Holies. I mean, you could just you know, have a conversation with Jesus because he was God's son and, and part of the Trinity. Where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. Now, you look at how the people in the Old Testament worshiped, right? They had their temple. Uh, they had uh, all of the different sacrifices uh, that they had to make uh, to cover over their sins until Jesus came, you know, fully God, fully man, perfect man, and paid the penalty for our sins, right? Well, they had all these things that they had to do, a strict law that they had to follow. So it was a localized type of religion that God was in this one place. At the same time, it was an outward type of religion where they had to do a lot of rituals. They had to bring a lot of sacrifices. But now, since Jesus came, it all was going to change. There was no longer going to be any temple because the Spirit would be everywhere. The Spirit would be in us. The Spirit would be in us. And truth, and that, again, is a great description of what worship is, is that we worship in spirit and in truth. The Spirit speaks, of course, of our passion for God fueled by the Holy Spirit. And the truth speaks of the principles we find in the Bible that guide us in our worship. Now, you can go one direction, one way too far, and the other direction too far. For example, you just focus on truth. You, you can be a legalist, right? Because there's no passion there. People know a lot of things, but they have no passion for God. Or you can get out of balance by focusing on uh, the spirit, the passion. And you can go off in some wild direction. So it needs to be in spirit and in truth. And God is looking for such people to worship him. John 4.23, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In fact, this is our memory verse for December, and as a disciple-making family, uh, we want to train everyone to meditate and memorize in the Scripture. So I want to encourage you guys to memorize this verse this month, and even in your small groups or other gatherings, you know, to say, you know, the memory verse uh, this week. That's another way we grow as disciples. Now, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, this is, of course, during the crucifixion. So when you think about it, The curtain in the temple that really guarded people from going to the Holy of Holies. The priest, the high priest, was the only one who would go in there one time a year. So there was this heavy, heavy curtain. It was was like 30 feet long and uh, 300 feet, or excuse me, 300 feet long and uh, 30 feet deep. And it was an inch. It was an inch wide. 
Okay, so they wanted to make sure that nobody uh, got close to it or went into it. And what Jesus Christ died, when he paid the penalty for our sins, what happened was, is the robe, or the uh, curtain, was torn from top to bottom. That means God was turning it, right? He started at the top, and he ripped it open. And that meant that we can go into the Holy of Holies because we're righteous because of Christ's sacrifice. So this was, again, the crucial time between the way Old Testament saints worshipped and New Testament saints worshipped is the fact that that curtain was open and that we were covered by Christ's righteousness and that He was in us. We look in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Now here's the amazing thing, is that uh, God is within you if you are a Christ follower. Jesus Christ resides in you through His Spirit. That's something to reflect upon, isn't it? Wow. I mean, if you could, you know, <laughs> do time travel and go back to the Israelites in the wilderness in the Old Testament with their tabernacle, and you went up to them and said, Hey, you know what happens in the future? Jesus comes inside you. <laughs> they probably would have stoned you. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, who can believe that? God has this glorious temple. That he resides in. But now, he resides within us. And there's all kinds of ramifications for that. If God is with us, therefore, we are with him as we acknowledge him throughout the day. And he has so many things to give us, so many ways to help us, so many ways to mature us as a Christ follower. And we're his temple which says a lot of things about how we should treat our body. So again, the big shift that takes place here is in the Old Testament, it was a localized worship of God. He was in one place, and then there was a form of worship which was more outward, doing all these different sacrifices and following all these different laws. But once Jesus dies, everything changes. What happens is, is it's no longer outward, but it's inward. It's all about the heart. And it's no longer uh, focused on, excuse me, and again, there's no localized place for Jesus or God. He's in you. So that's a big change. That's a really big change that we need to understand if we're really going to understand worship. 1 Corinthians 10:31 So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God. Now eat or drink why why do you think he mentions that? Because that's kind of the mundane of life, right? I mean, we eat and drink every day. We don't even think about it. Okay, time for lunch, time for dinner, and late night snack, middle of the 
eat <clears throat> an overnight snack, you know, that type of thing. And, and so we just do it. So he is saying that whenever you are in tune with God, whenever you're doing his will, whenever you're nurturing that relationship, you are worshiping him. You are glorifying him. Did you know that we were created for worship? That's why God created us, right? Not so that we could feel better, but that God might be honored and glorified in every way. That's why He created Adam and Eve. So when you think about it, okay, I'm here on earth and I'm trying to figure out what I should do. Well, once you're transformed by Christ, your role is to glorify God in the way you live. And to have such a deep passion for Christ. Really, when you think about it, worship as taught in the New Testament speaks about someone who cherishes Christ. Who is satisfied with Christ. Who is consumed with Christ. That's the way we should live our lives through the Spirit. What do you cherish in your life? Think about what type of physical uh, item. What's really, really, really important to you? If you had a fire in your house, what would you, you carry out? What is the one thing that you think the most about? What is it that you cherish? And, of course, this goes back to our scrap series, right? Because we were talking about the relationship between money and the heart and the fact that, hey, you have to step out in faith and give generously. And, and what that does is it breaks the hold that this world has on our life. You know, when we really step out in faith and give 10%, whatever, that's when we realize, hey, I'm trusting in God. I'm not trusting in myself anymore. And so our desire every day is to grow closer and closer to Christ. How many times do you think of Jesus Christ during the day? How many times do you pray? How many times do you read His Word? Well, again, those are all areas that we're seeking to grow in but every time we practice those disciplines, it draws us closer to our true purpose, and that is to glorify God. Another key teaching on worship is found in Philippians 1, 20 through 21. Paul writes to the people of Philippi, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is worship, friends. Paul was consumed by worship. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. 
So for Paul, as he viewed it in his life, he said, okay, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to give everything up for Christ. In fact, which he did, right? He he was an up-and-coming leader among the Jews, and uh, he was killing Christians and all that type of thing until Jesus Christ stopped him on the Damascus Road and transformed his life, and then he just gave it all up. He gave up his reputation, his education. In fact, he counted it all rubbish, as we see in this this verse here in Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he had just listed all the things that God had done through him that other Jewish people would be impressed with. And only did that to show him, hey, all this stuff is nothing. I count everything as loss. All the things I accomplished in my life before I became a Christ follower. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And the nature of maturing in Christ is that you think about Him more and more. You read the Word of God. You pray. You interact and are blessed by other Christians. And Jesus Christ becomes the most important thing in your life. I mean, Paul went to, you know, (laughs) his really dream, I guess you could call it. He went from that to losing everything. I mean, he had a really, really difficult life, as you know. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. Uh, nothing seemed to go well for him because what he had done is that Jesus Christ is number one. I, I don't care about any type of prestige. I don't care about any type of power. I don't care about the things that other people care about. I care only about Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. So here he is living on the earth, and he's consumed with Jesus Christ. He loves him so much. He loves him more than anything, any other person. He loves Jesus Christ, and he wants to serve Jesus Christ and glorify Jesus Christ. And the thing is that people can see that. If you're living that type of life, if you're not just going down the usual American uh, road of success, if you're living differently, people are going to say, you know, what's the deal with you? Well, why, why do you live that way? And different questions come. And it's all because Jesus Christ is what you desire the most. And friends, I'm not saying it comes overnight. It's still something I pray for daily. That I would be more in love with Jesus Christ. And I would want Jesus Christ as part of my life. I want Him to saturate me, saturate my thoughts. Again, empower me to bear the fruits of the Spirit. So Paul's struggling here. He's saying, if I'm down here on earth, I can glorify Christ by the way I live. 
and show people that Jesus Christ is number one in my life. At the same time, if I go to heaven, I can be with Jesus Christ. Now remember, amen, thank you, (laughs) Revelation, right? Why do we see the word worship mentioned 26 times in Revelation? Because he was with Jesus Christ. Same thing with the Gospels, he was with Jesus Christ. But during the epistles, Jesus Christ was within them. That's why there wasn't that much stress on worship and form and that type of thing. Psalms 42.1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my pants soul be, O God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Think about that. How deep is your desire to follow Christ? You know, we all can... Obviously, we can all grow closer to Christ. And there's some of you that maybe you're not even a Christ follower, and this is really foreign to you. Well, we're glad you're here, and we hope you stick around so that you can learn the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you are new Christians, and you're just starting to begin how wonderful it is. And some of you are mature Christians, and and you're worshiping the Lord daily, And then there are some who are just kind of checked out. I mean, they're doing the minimum of what they feel a Christian should do. But they are not experiencing Jesus Christ within them. They're not experiencing the joy and the love and the peace that God gives. So we need to seek after God. And I would encourage you this Christmas season, every time you see a decoration or hear a song, even if it's secular, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus and what he's done for you. You see, the key thing about loving Jesus is you have to meditate on his word. If you just kind of read it over, and oh yeah, I did that, did that, no. You have to understand what it meant for him to die for you. You have to understand how much He loves you. And it can't just be head knowledge. It's got to be heart knowledge if you're truly going to worship Him. We've got our ushers come forward this time. Heavenly Father, thank You for this wonderful teaching from Your Word. And Lord, I pray for myself. I pray that I would just more and more focus on You and see the big picture. Because, again, we were created to worship You. And when we go to heaven, that's what we'll do. So, Lord, I pray that You be with me and be with my friends here. And I pray that we would learn different ways to understand that You are the number one thing in our life. That that you need to be, that we seek and desire after you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.